Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good evening and welcome to The Men, Men About, About it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. On uh, Heritage Radio Network, on Stitcher and iTunes, and uh, wherever you find fine podcasts. All right. So we, this is episode 214. That's right. We're back from our summer break-ish thing. Kuzme is not with us tonight because he is uh, entertaining people at the brewery, which is not yet open, but getting very close. Uh, Any second now. Yes. Maybe like weeks, actually, at this point. Very exciting. Um, So let's do some announcements. Uh, This Saturday, if you are in New York City at 2 p.m., the Brewstoria Homebrewing Club and Friends are pre- presenting Brewmanosity. It is a homebrew event that benefits Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It is being held at Littlefield in Brooklyn. Um, tickets range from $30 to $63, depending if you want tasting glass or raffle tickets or whatnot. And if you want more information, you can go to littlefieldnyc.com, and they have it all. That Again, that's Saturday, September 16th at 2 p.m. That's right. Uh, And if you are uh, in New York City or uh, actually anywhere around New York, we are having our primaries tomorrow. So for um, and if you live in New York, we are having our primaries for the uh, mayor, which is kind of important in New York. So please, please, please get out to vote. If you don't know where your poll place is, you can literally Google poll site New York City and look up where it is based on where you live or where you think you are registered to vote. Um, It is really important to vote, uh, as we've seen uh, lately. So, and especially in New York, um, the mayor does have a big impact on everything. Um, so, get to know all the candidates and pick one who uh, adheres to your values. Um, I will say one thing, cool thing that Chris and I did over the break, and he might be. We have a pre-tape coming up, which might be mentioned again, but I'll give my angle. It's so cool. Talk about it. We, twice. <laughs> we were invited to the Honey Beer Summit, which was put on by the uh, National Honey Board um, in St. Louis, Missouri. So that was a ton of fun. We got to learn about beekeeping and actually interact with some bees, as well as uh, learn about brewing with honey and um, taste a lot of beers that were brewed with honey. And and we tour some really cool St. Louis breweries. That was one of the best parts. I think we toured. I don't know, between, we had some time actually when we got there Monday before the summit started, so I think we hit eight or nine breweries in total, maybe a little bit more, but St. Louis it has, yeah, it has a thriving craft beer scene, and it was really cool to see, you know, not only the variety of beers uh, that are being brewed there, but also, you know, like I said, 
very quality and uh, and cool. Like all the different feels for each brewery was a little bit different and uh, super neat. So that was cool. Cheers to St. Louis and all your good beer. Hey, I'll have to go there at some point in my life. <laughs> we also hit we I hit, we hit a couple museums as well. So there's definitely some cool cultural things to do in St. Louis as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, St. Louis is not too far from uh, where our next guest hails from. <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> west. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today we are joined by Christina Ward, um, who is the master food preserver of Milwaukee County in Wisconsin. And she's just come out with a book called Preservation. Now, on the show, we usually talk about just fermentation as a means of preservation, but there are so, so many more kinds. Uh, Christina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is fun. <laughs> and I'm from Milwaukee, so oh, that yes. means beer. We yes. know, we yes. know beer is a, it's a good fit here. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, Christina, how did you start how did you start getting into preserving and and that kind of thing? And what is a master food preserver? Well, first, the, the master food preserver, which is like the best title ever. I I'm, I'm, didn't it's make it up. Awesome. I get asked if I made it up. I did not. And it's left over from the 1800s when um, kind of with the westward expansion, folks were moving west. And the United States government decided that, you know, we needed to educate all of these people that were expanding and moving west. And so there was a deal called, like, the land-grant university system. So from Ohio State to Indiana to Wisconsin, all the way out to Oregon and California, those are all land-grant universities focused on a system of educating people with a, a focus on sciences and agriculture. And then in addition to that is what you get, the extension services, which is to say it's one thing to have all this knowledge in one place in a university in this silo. What's really important is getting it out to the people. And so the Master Food Preserver program is kind of born out of that is to, you know, pre-internet days in the 1800s is if the neighboring family died of some home canned food, somebody better get over there and figure out what the heck is going on and teach people how to do it correctly. And that's really how the program was started. Awesome. Right. So. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. But I think, actually, uh, I was going to look because the first land-grant institution, um, which was the first one, and that, well, Iowa State Agricultural College, now yeah. Iowa State University. Anyway. And Wisconsin. Right. And so, and how that works now, even today, is it's kind of cool, is that they all were all these universities still work in consortium with together. Um, and so each one has a specific kind of uh, preservation specialty that their food science departments are working on. So I'm from Wisconsin, so at Madison, they focus on equipment testing and microbiological research. If you're in Washington State, they focus on fish. So they're the experts on fish preserving, which, you know, and then all of that information, all that specialty testing gets then sent to the University of Georgia. So that's actually considered the Center for Home Food Preservation over that's at Athens. Thought, okay. Yeah. So they act as like the clearinghouse. And again, so it's a really great system because everybody's working together. And that's because I've come across a lot of they have a lot of downloadable literature they that's do. put out through yep. the extension. Okay, cool. And so I'm trained by the extension. And so uh, what I'm doing and what I, how this all came about is I teach. That's my mandate is to teach people, again, not to kill people. <laughs> um, so in doing that, what, you know, that kind of years and years of teaching, and then there's still all these, there's like, there was a gap between all the things you could read about or download and then an actual practical understanding of that concept of what is the science. Because this extension does a great job of saying, here's how you do it. But they don't always do a great job of explaining why you need to do it that way. Um, so that was where I was hoping to fill in. 
Yeah, and I think that's key. That's one thing that we see here. I have a science background, actually, um, is that people who do fermenting have absolutely no... I mean, not everybody, but there are certain people that want to get into fermenting but are very intimidated, and part of it is because they don't have that science background. They don't understand the science behind it and what makes it, you know... Right. What makes it safe and what it, makes it not safe. So that's particularly and key, I feel. I, I agree with you because that, and that's, again, my approach to teaching. I think that knowledge is power is so people fear what they don't understand. And so once you take those concepts, and we actually do when we're, when I'm teaching classes, it's all hands-on because, you know, you learn by doing and then you're explaining the concepts, you see the concepts in action, and then it all makes sense. And it all ma- then it, it makes even more sense of why you've got to do it a specific way versus just kind of free range and willy-nilly and, you know, put it under the moon at the right time of the month and maybe it'll <laughs> kind of catch the microbes. It doesn't work that way. Now, did you learn to, to preserve stuff when you were little? Like, did you have relatives that taught you? I did. And it, it, this is a very Midwestern kind of thing is that, so I was raised in a big city, but my grandparents were rural. Um, and so I'm in my class with, you know, 40 other kids. And so this great, you know, great urban experiment. And then all of a sudden every summer, all the kids scatter to the wind. Nobody's going on vacation. You're being sent back to the family farms. And so if you were African-American, you went south and you worked on the, the farms because the great, you know, diaspora of the folks who moved work to move north to work in factories. And then, you know, us, uh, the northerners, we kind of went back to further north onto the family farms. And so it, it was kind of a real interesting kind of experience because you're a city kid, but then you're also for a, a three to four months out of year a farm kid. Uh, and so my grandma taught me, and that's how I started. And I took a real interest in it. All my cousins who I was with actually all do some strange agricultural thing. <laughs> my, my cousin Mitch still hunts. My cousin Bob is a beekeeper in the nice. city. So, I mean, we all took on one small aspect of it. That's cool. Yeah, the system works. <laughs> the system works, yes. <laughs> Um, so do you want to, do we want to dive into the meat of it and go through what the, some of these preservations are? Yeah. Well, I think start with the overall kind of science yeah. behind or logic behind okay. preservation. Cause that's something that we do talk a little bit, but it's slightly different for fermentation than yeah. it is for other types of preservation. Yeah, we're not I really scared about killing people with fermentation generally. You could, yeah. You, you, you could. could. Yeah. 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 But so, a lot of the times we're like, don't be scared. It's fine. But uh, yeah, that's definitely not the philosophy well, you, when it comes to other yeah. preservations. It's uh. Don't be scared. It's fine. And even more fine if you know why it's not going to kill you. Um, So really, as scientists, if you think about it, first of all, the word preservation is wrong. I mean, it's called preservation, but it's wrong. It's really about extension. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're really working just to extend the usability of any type of food. And you you can include water in that food as well. so you're using what scientists call hurdle technology. Um, when I'm teaching kids, I always liken it to the old Batman show, Adam West Batman. If you saw the bad guys, all the Joker's henchmen were chasing Batman, and they would throw chairs at the bad guys to slow them down. <laughs> so if you can picture in your mind, that's what you're doing in any type of preservation, any type of that, is you're throwing kind of chemical and physical chairs at microbes to prevent um, some pathogen f- infestation. So when you're talking about fermenting, then you're becoming essentially an, a bacterial farmer. What you're looking to do, again, is microbes have a preferred range of pH balance, and you can raise the acidity of any kind of food, whether by adding acid or, again, bacterial farming, to create an acidic environment to then prevent 
um, additional pathogenic microbes from moving in. So you've got chemical barriers and then physical barriers, and that's where you get into like canning. Um, and you're using canners, both a hot water bath canner or a pressure canner, to do some you know physical mumbo jumbo fun stuff to again uh, change the environment and throw more chairs at the microbes. Cool. I so, like that. I like that description. <laughs> chairs at microbes. Um, so, what are some of your favorite things to ferment? Well, again, being from Milwaukee, we're big sauerkraut people, um, and it's funny. Because there's things that are specific to sauerkraut, which I think is a great way to get started. It's so simple. It is cabbage and salt, and that's it. But you still have to understand a little bit of the technique to make it work. Um, So it's not just as some other people have written, um, where you just kind of throw salt and cabbage and rub it all together and then let it ferment. No, there's some ratios involved, and there are some physical things involved. my favorite metal band name that's never been used. It's, anybody wants to name their band this, they should. Right, is down right now. Kraut Hammer. Kraut Hammer. <laughs> no, and you'll see that oh. in in old like European cookbooks and magazines. And if you go into the Amish country, they actually sell them, which is great. And it's you know a giant wooden club, and you have to physically mash your cabbage down. And there's a reason for that. Um, and that's a fun thing to do is you're physically pounding it to break the cell walls down so that salt penetrates. So the, you know, lactobacillus bacteria move in. So we say, what do I like to ferment? We like making sauerkraut. Awesome. What, so wait, this crowd hammer, are they using it after they put it in the crock or before? No, in the crock. And okay. So, so, so it, and you're eliminating oxygen crock. that way as well. Not right? really. Not really? You're, you're, here, so here's how you do it. This is German style. This is how you do it. And uh, uh, here's the fun aside. Every time you watched a World War II movie and they, you know, the Germans are throwing, throw the potato masher. That's the shape of their potato mashers, crowd hammers. That's what they look like. Oh my goodness. Um, so what you do is you, you use, you know, very dangerous, the, the kraut cutter, the, yes. mandal, the giant mandolin, or, or by hand, carefully, and you're shredding it, you know, um, and then what you're doing is then you pound it you okay. fit in the crack or, or in a big five-gallon bucket works really well. Uh, you pound the heck out of it, and you're, what your goal is is you're trying to, to break the cell walls down and push that, the liquid, any liquid out, and then, then you salt it and then mush it, and then that's where you're going to put on a weight and keep, you know, cheesecloth and, and then wait for the ferment. Because I had, I, I helped a friend make a sauerkraut and, and he would make it bulk every year. This is in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so um, also. More Germans. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. it would it was a production. like And he had, more, you know, lots of crocs and everything. But I don't think he had a crock hammer, but now I'm, I bet he does now. Anyway. Well, here's, if you think about it, you go back to like what we're talking about is the chemistry. And so any type of food preservation is a race against who's going to eat the food item first, you or the microbes. And so by creating the most beautiful, perfect environment for the lactobacillus to move in for sauerkraut, i.e. pounding it, giving it liquid, making it nice and salty, keeping the oxygen out, keeping it nice and warm out of the sun. Um, and you know, when you take care of your little kraut baby, then all the, the lactobacillus moves in. Yep. Now, if you're kind of willy-nilly about it and you're just like, oh, I'm cutting it up or I'm just pulling the leaves and I'm just gonna toss whatever amount of salt I feel like, and then stick it in a crock, well, you, you've got a higher chance of failure for mm-hmm. that ferment to come again. So if you want to do it correctly and come up successfully with a good product, is there's just some, some real basic things to follow that are based in science and to make it work better. And what are your favorite seasonings? 
your favorite kraut seasonings? Uh, I have or do of, you use any? I, yeah, I have a bit of a sweet tooth. Um, so I'm one, I'll throw in usually um, a shredded apple in there and to give it a little sweetness and then a little bit of a caraway seed. Cool. That's my favorite. That's the most intriguing thing about kraut is that you can do so many, you know, it can go so many directions depending how you're seasoning it as far as flavor goes. Yeah, and you'll see sometimes Eastern European, Belarusian style has juniper in it, little Ooh. some juniper seeds. They'll just pound juniper seeds in there. Um, it, that gives it a really fun flavor. That sounds good. I've not made it. And I have some juniper berries at home yeah. that, I, that I bought, you know, from a... Yeah, reputable food source because <laughs> I know not all junipers that you pick are edible. So right, that's right. something to always be aware of out there. Is that know what you're you know if you're Don't. foraging, know what you're getting. Otherwise, just buy it from a reputable store. <laughs> yes. With that, we're going to take a brief break mm-hmm. and we'll be right back on Foment about it. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. episode 214 of Foment About It. Yeah, we're here with Christina Ward, the master food preserver preserver for Milwaukee County. Hello. And we're talking about preservation and and fermentation and all sorts of interesting food things. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about pickles. So, um, yeah, you you mentioned this in in the book, um, but uh, there is like a misconception of different kinds of pickles, uh, uh, brine pickling versus the... Lacto-fermented pickles. Do we want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. And it's it's actually it's it's a great fun food history kind of thing when you talk about pickles because the word pickle means so many different things to different people, um, and especially if you're here on the East Coast, what you guys call pickles here are very different than what we call pickles in the Midwest. And the difference is, even though both are acidified, so chemically that renders them, you know, fairly safe, you know, safe-ish from uh, microbes. But at the same time, how you get to the acid is totally different. And so East East Coast pickles, like half sours, Jewish pickles, full sours, are fermented. So they're using a lactobacillus. And again, as as again, when I talk to kids, 
So remember, the poop of lactobacillus is lactic acid. Um, <laughs> such a good line. <laughs> so, so when you're, you know, so that that's the thing that's acidifying and then makes the cucumbers sour and gives them the flavor. But if you're in the Midwest, um, we add vinegar. We so we make a pickling solution with vinegar, water, salt, and then spices, and then pour that over the cucumbers and then let them pickle, pickle the verb. Um, and then there's some Polish variations out there that are really fun that are both start with a pickling solution and then are fermented on top of that. Uh, so again, you can really get into the weeds about just different methodologies. But again, we, if anytime it starts to get confusing to anybody when you're thinking about different fermenting things, you're working on fermenting projects, is you always think about chemistry. What am I doing with the chemistry? My goal is to preserve a food. You're trying to take away some of the things that the microbes need to live. So pickling is fermentation is all about acidity, raising the acidity to an amount, to a level where the microbes can't move in. And so other forms of preservation with the chemistry, the chemistry end of it is about then reducing water activity. And so that's another form of preservation is by reducing the water activity. So like dehydration. Dehydration. Or, or that's why like the, like uh, harder cheeses last longer than softer cheeses. And Yeah. And so here's what happens is a lot of times you just don't throw one chair at a food to uh, prevent the microbes from coming in. You throw a lot of chairs. And so preservation methods are combined. So when you're talking about like a fermented hard cheese, so you've started by a ferment to get to, you know, i.e. cheese. And then later, uh, specialty cheeses, for example, like, you know, a hard cheddar, just for example, is then it's aged, i.e. it's dried out. So you're removing um, any of the available moisture as well as it's been fermented. Additionally, you'll get some that are, that are inoculated with specialty yeasts that, again, have a byproduct of um, driving other microbes out. So, again... It can be super easy or super complex as, as much as you, the creator, want to make it. I, because I never think about, although obviously making, you know, like something like Parmesan or an mm -hmm. aged cheddar is a combination of techniques, but you have a recipe for lacto-fermented granola. Yes. yes. And, um, which is awesome because you're combining fermentation and dehydration yeah. in a, a dehydrator. So essentially, it's still a raw food. And so it still has all the probiotic, the benefits of having introducing a lactic, um, uh, the lactobacillus into your own system. Um, and it tastes good. And it, it's so as a granola, it's kind of fun because it's got that a sweet and sour taste to it. So we have to go back to pickles, too. Oh, sure. Right? Cause, well, we can spend all, a lot of time in pickles. So I also grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in uh -huh. southern Illinois. So I also never had a, a fermented pickle until I moved to New York City. I was always, especially like bread and butter pickles were huge. When, oh. I think my grandma and my mom both made those. Oh, those are disgusting <laughs> to me. I think so, too. Well, they're really sweet. They're really sweet. Yes. yes. I, I'm with you. Okay, but there you. are people that love them. There are people. I have to have I a side note that... We, so we have a pickle day in New York oh, City yeah, coming up on the Lower East month. Side. Yeah, yes, October, it's October 15th. <gasps> 15th, sorry. Yes, just as an aside, mm -hmm. Sunday, I believe it's Sunday, October 15th. So yep. if you're in New York City. Wow. And we do have... Actually, I'll be in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, teaching at Fermentation Fest. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's an equally cool thing to do. So whether so, you're in the Midwest or in New York City, two things to do on October yeah. 15th. Yeah, Fermentation <laughs> Fest is a, a, a big... People come from all over the Midwest yeah. to uh, kind of essentially take classes with different fermenters and kind of explore different areas of fermenting. We just started our first New York City fermentation festival mm -hmm. earlier in February of this year. Yeah, so, so listeners keep a, a 
ear out for yes. more details on that as it as it oh, progresses. Oh, that sounds exciting. So wait, what are you? What will you be teaching at Fermentation Fest? So we're gonna do the Polish style fermented pickles, like Ooh. the kind of half half. Um, and then we're gonna be talking about sukumono, which is a Japanese quick pickle, oh, quick, quick fermented. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna just. We won't have enough time to actually make miso, but we're going to be talking about that procedure of making miso. And then really um, how you can keep a ferment alive and then that that living ferment becomes a fermenting tool for other foods. Because that's like a fermentation bed, correct? That's the, it, it yeah, because we've it's talked exactly. about it. I haven't yes. done it, but we did have Nancy on the show. Yeah, she's yes. great. Yeah. Oh, she's so knowledgeable about all things Japanese preserving and food. I'm excited for her new book to come out. Yeah. Ooh, when does her new book come out? Um, I think it comes out in we have to keep, summer 2018. Okay. We have to keep our ears open. Yeah, and it's one. called Japan the Cookbook. Huh. How... <laughs> I love awesome. it. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Our listeners, uh, who uh, Nancy Singleton Hachitsu, who we had on the show a couple of seasons ago, uh, has written, written wrote the uh, foreword for this preservation yeah. book. But her for, her book uh, pre- preserving, preserving the Japanese yes, way and then awesome. Japanese farm food and yeah. then her yeah. So she's really really an expert in in all of those uh, the Japanese food ways and she does a really great job of translating some of those concepts mm-hmm. which can be you know you have to kind of th- get out of your Western mindset mm-hmm. a little bit and she does a great job of translating the that the Eastern techniques for Western What's audiences right? yeah. so so people can try it at home and I encourage everybody to try Japanese pickling at home and fermenting uh, fermenting and that's why uh, we're doing that at fermentation fest. Ooh, I should that should be on my list of fall ferments to do. But pickles. So pickles, what? Yes, we yes. go back to pickles. See, you back, pickle we got a circle around. You I could know. literally pickle everything. <laughs> so what are your favorite pickles? Um and I included it in the book only because it is like the childhood favorite is we call Milwaukee dills. Uh, what makes a Milwaukee dill a little different from everybody else's is they're heavy on the turmeric and the mustard. Mm-hmm. So historically they kind of get related a little bit to like Senfgurken to the German style mustard pickles, but without the sugar. So it's a savory pickle. Um, and so that's one of my favorite things to eat. Uh, the other thing that I'll eat all the time and it is pickled garlic. Um, and that became a habit out of making lots of garlicky dill pickles. And then you're not going to waste that, that beautiful clove of garlic in the bottom of a jar. So I'll just make actually jars of pickled clo- uh, garlic cloves. And those you're fermenting or you're doing the ac- you're, you're, or introducing acidity? You're introducing acidity. Okay. So a vinegar solution. Um, and so... Because you, you can also do fermented garlic. You can do fermented garlic. Um, fermented garlic, and we go back to like a sukumono, which is just Japanese uh, for quick pickle, really. Um, garlic does really well in a fermenting bed of miso, and then it gets um, extra flavor, a really s- a beautiful salty sourness to uh, pickled garlic within just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, people often will think about the limits of pickles of just either being something you buy at the supermarket or something you make yourself and, you know, it has, but there's some in-between steps. And so you can keep a crock of pickles fermenting for a while and you can, you know, for a few kind of generations, at least two generations, introduce new cucumbers to it. You can then slow your ferment down uh, when you've reached peak pickle and stick it in the fridge and then your pickles will last longer. Um, and so when you talk about like favorites and things like that, I do a lot of fun experimenting is I'm guilty of keeping a fermenting crock slow and then keeping it in the fridge and sometimes just tossing extra stuff in there like green beans, just so I don't waste anything. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. So. 
pretty cool. Now you have me thinking about all kinds of things. Yeah, I'm thinking about making pickles as soon as I get home. Right. <laughs> so I, I guess it's like the, it's the same reverse version of like a rum toff, you know, yeah. where you yes. like so. Yeah. Keep, keep your pickle crock going. Now, you had a good question about oh, pickles. about pickles? Mm-hmm. Well, you said, which pickled cucumbers do you prefer? And also, what is your trick to crisp fermented pickles? Oh, yes. We've heard a lot of things yes. from, like, stick an oak leaf in it to, Lies. like, Every single cold bath. <laughs> so here's what the science tells you. And this comes down, to, it's again, it's science. Um, the problem uh, with a lot of folks who are trying to make homemade pickles is they're doing a couple things wrong. Okay. And it's always an operator error in the technique. So first of all, you need fresh cucumbers. If you're buying it at the grocery store, it's not fresh. So go to the farmer's market, talk to the farmer, say if you're going to, and again, you were mentioning your friend does a a big, you know, a whole lot Mm -hmm. of cabbage for sauerkraut. That's the way you want to probably treat your pickles too. It's not really a great project to do like one quart at a time. If you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, go and make a whole lot of pickles. So go to the market, ask the farmer to bring you your number ones or your number twos and and work on it. The other problem that folks will have... Wait, what are number ones? Are oh, number twos, is that quality or... Size, I think. Uh, it refers size. to size. Okay. Yeah, and so I did get in trouble by almost giving somebody the middle finger on television <laughs> as an illustration. <laughs> That's the number two size. Um, number ones are usually your pointer finger size. Okay. Um, then number twos and, and then bigger than your middle finger. And then cornichons or petites are about your pinky finger size. Those are usually really expensive, yeah. so grow those yourself. Um, but... You want really fresh pickles, and then you need to scrape off either or cut off the enzyme end, the flower end. That's, yes. And the enzyme is a super decaying element, and as soon as it's picked, it just goes into overtime in trying to in starting to decay on the cucumber. And because cucumbers have so much water in them, they de- decay very quickly and get soft. Um, older cucumbers, too, can develop that hollowness in the inside, which will lead to mushiness. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a really about kind of managing the input, what you're putting into it, to get a really good output. And how much of the end do you recommend cutting off? As little as possible. I don't cut the ends off. I take my thumbnail and I scrape it off. Okay. So, yeah, that's the way I do it personally. But you want so just enough to get that enzyme end off. I know you'll see old, you know, historic cookbooks will take, you know, take a half an inch off way too much you don't need to do that so we're we're like going for our holy grail pickles that are crisp and crunchy so fresh is best get rid of the enzyme and and move with speed and purpose so the longer that you're letting things sit around then the softer they're going to get so as soon as you get them stick them in a cold water and salt brine bath just to hold them while you get everything else ready um get your all your spices and whether you're going to do a fermented pickle or a vinegar solution pickle, you know, get your spices, get it all ready, and then, you know, get them going and in the crock. Um, a lot of times if you're making vinegar solution pickles, people make the mistake of pouring hot vine- hot mm-hmm. solution. You're, yeah. Essentially, you're cooking them right then. You got to let that solution, after it's boiled, cool down completely. Don't use hot water. Um, and then it's really just about managing it. The other thing that will make them soft is infest- infestation of molds and yeasts and sometimes we don't even notice so a lot of times historically and if you're from the midwest you may have if you've ever made fermented pickles you're talking about like you skim the scum oh yes that scum is yeast um and yeast is eating um the same food it's competing for the lactobacillus and so it reduces the overall acidity which encourages rot and that's what makes them soft so 
the best way to prevent the yeast is to use what we call the water bag method yeah. uh, for sealing it out. So all these fancy, you can spend so much money on some of this crap, you don't need it. Um, you know, so just a water bag, which is a Ziploc bag filled with water, um, place it, it's the, the weight of the water holds everything down and it naturally levels out to form a seal and you're good. Bob's your uncle. You don't need to go spend, uh, you know, $200 at Sir La Tabla. Like, yeah, Discs or whatever. Oh, yeah, right. we yeah. just, and, yeah, we just right. uh, saw a demonstration by uh, Kirsten Shockney where oh, she I'm, used a water bag yeah. to yeah. hold down her pickles. Yeah. I, again, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm cheap and cheerful. <laughs> you know, you go, you go to your favorite restaurant, you ask them for a five-gallon food-safe bucket. There's your crock. Yeah, perfect. You get a Ziploc bag. There's your, there's your weight. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. So, uh, yeah, sticking an oak leaf in there isn't going to... No, I've heard the craziest <laughs> things. And they do make pick, pickle crisp, which, yeah. which is, again, it's safe. It doesn't hurt, but it's unnecessary. And all of this is like a little calcium chloride. Mm-hmm. Um what it does is just it kind of makes the water uh, it's kind of acidifies the water a little mm-hmm. bit essentially uh, to helpfully move along in, in, um, the lactobacillus so essentially all it's doing is making everything move a little faster um, again I've heard the craziest stuff I, I always call it there's like homeopathic canning we always call it it's a bad <laughs> thing because people would, used to put aspirin yeah. did you ever hear that one uh, don't do that kill the germs I like, don't know what, what are you doing like an aspirin isn't gonna help you um <laughs> And so, yeah, people people are crazy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's lots of myths and folk tales of, and there are. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I I will say that do, folks will put in like cherry leaves, um, but that's really actually that's different. That's an old Eastern European thing for flavor. For flavor, oh. right? So if you want, to, if your family recipe calls for cherry leaves, that's okay because you're doing it for flavor. Even if you don't know you're doing it for flavor, that's why you're doing it. <laughs> So let's talk a little, just we'll briefly touch on some of the other methods that you talk about in your book. Mm-hmm. So we kind of mentioned canning a little bit. Right. Um, so you have, you do sugar preserves and then can pressure canning, fermentation, curing and smoking and dehydration. So I just want to get like a couple things. Like what's, what's one of your favorite sugared preserves? Um, I always I, like to hear about people's favorites. I'm all about the pie. And so for me, the, the ability to can your, whole, your own pie filling that's ready to go at any time, any time the pie fairy calls you yes. to have pie, <laughs> that is a miracle. And so that's one of my favorite things, especially um, with fruit, you know, seasonal. And if it's January in Wisconsin and you can crack open a quart of cherry pie filling that you know you picked those cherries and canned them up and you would make a pie, that's to me is a great thing. And the chemistry there, why it works is you're reducing the water activity. So anything of the sugared preserves are all from jam, jelly, fruit, fruit in a syrup to pie filling. So it's all about reducing the water activity using sugar. Cool. Okay. How about um, how about curing uh, and smoking? Because no. those are two things I don't ever do. No, but I've always wanted to make gravlax. Yeah. I am all about that gravlax. I, I included the gravlax recipe because it's relatively easy. So I love success. I like people to feel good about what they're doing. And so sometimes you'll see recipes that are just really overly complicated and you do need, you know, some, some expertise to be able to pull off. So the idea is to cut Gravlax is actually pretty simple to do and, and you feel really good about it. Um, What's funny about that is I'm allergic to fish. So we tested that. My husband, on the other hand, loves fish. So he's always the guinea pig for those things. So essentially what you're doing, again, reducing water activity. You're using salt this time to reduce the water activity. And it starts a light ferment going on. 
So, and you know, then if you let Gravlax go a little longer, then it becomes Sirlax. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, some of the fun things to do then, uh, when you talk about then curing, is um, related to what you think about like jerky. Mm-hmm. So jerky is a combination of, again, we kind of com- throw as many chairs as we can. And so it's a combination of a cure, which essentially is like using a salt to pull out the water. And then additionally, the tool of dehydration using a f- the physics to actually, you know, pull the water out. So it's a combined thing. And when you think about any type of meat product that what that's quote unquote cured, it, it's a combination of techniques of, using salt to reduce the water activity as well as then using environmental things to reduce the water activity. And then of course there's fermented meats as well. And ferment and then that's an additional thing you're throwing on top of that. So when you get to so a bacon is cured and then dehydrated. Uh, and then you later cook it. But then when you start to get into some of the, especially like Italian sausages, uh, the charcuterie, and that's, I do recommend people, if you're really going to go down that route, um, you need to take a specialty class yeah. because you're, but meats are dangerous in, in the fermentation world. That's your highest level of danger that you could really make yourself or somebody sick. So uh, before you embark on, on meat projects, you should really take a class and study up on that one. Yeah, we have, we have a, a friend here in the city that does great, the per- commercial, mm-hmm. um, that does great fermented meats. But it definitely has brought me a much greater appreciation of all of that. Oh, Not anything yeah. I want to try at home, but... Right. No, nobody wants to think about their meat as being fermented. <laughs> it just, like, sounds dangerous. It does. But it is, it's so funny. So I was talking to a friend, um, Ubi, that, yeah, that's his name, Ubaldo. So Ubi. Um, Ubi's a butcher. His dad's a butcher. His dad was a butcher in Italy, in northern Italy. And... Ubi and I were talking, and his dad, he can't, has uh, just been lamenting the fact that he's never been able to make the, his proper cured fermented sausage here in, in, here in Wisconsin. Um, and Ubi and I were talking through it is because he was trying to use, his dad was trying to use the same methods he did back in Italy. And environmentally, it's so different. The climactic things play a huge role. So this goes to say a lot of when you're talking about fermented meats is you need that specialty dry cure chamber that you can control for all the humidity levels and all of those things. So unless you have that very expensive machine, do not try that at home. Yeah. And some cheeses also require much more. Like cheese, I feel like is a much more level of... It, it is because of, you're, a, of stringency to things. It is because you're essentially you're using a lot of physics to control the environment, and so anytime you mess with your you know zero level environment, it requires a high degree of skill because there's so much more variable involved. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So where can people um, learn more if they want to learn more from their extension service? I know Cornell University here in New York State is our state extension service but where what's the easiest thing google extension service in your state you can uh google (laughs) extension service in your state but different different extension services specialize and do different things they may not do do food preservation Mm -hmm. so googling the center for home food preservation out of uga is a great start point because they again they act as a clearinghouse consortium for everybody's material so you can start there and then you'll find out if you need to if you want to take a class actually in canning in 
fermenting. If you want, you can talk to your local extension service and see if you have one. Here's the thing is, unfortunately, a lot of folks in um, urban areas, they've done away with that master food preserver or even the master gardener programs. And so a little bit harder to find. So if that's something you want for your community, agitate, agitate, agitate. And if you're in <laughs> urban, urban, maybe take it as a weekend trip or something. Too. Exactly. I'm sure there's opportunities. And then your book is called Preservation, the Art and Science of Canning, Fermentation, and Dehydration, and it is available in bookstores, in bookstores and online. And online, yep. And I'm in town because I'm going to yes, be at was- Bonnie Slotnick's cookbook store in Manhattan on Friday night. Awesome. Um, it's, it's a great bookstore. Uh, and I'm here for the Brooklyn Book Festival. I'll be presenting at 4 p.m. Uh, at the book festival at Cadman Plaza. Is that That's on Saturday at That's on Sunday. On Sunday, okay. Because yep, it Sunday. goes the whole week. It's both days, Saturday yep. and Sunday. It, there's events actually all week long, and then but the actual book festival with over 100 different uh, vendors, i.e. publishers and authors, on Cadman Plaza is all day Sunday. Okay. And then they're bringing in authors uh, from all over the, the world, really. It, it's a pretty cool event for Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, come on out. Yeah. Not just for me, but there's a lot of amazing, great people who are going to be hanging around. Definitely, yeah. It's a, like one of the bigger events, I think. It, it, it's so. one of the biggest book festivals in the country. Yeah. What? Awesome. Well, wow. thank you so much. Oh, thanks, thanks for having so me. And have a good, enjoy your, your time here in New York City. I sure will. So, yeah, thanks for coming on for Men About It. Yeah, enjoy the beer. Thanks. thanks. Cheers. Cheers. For Men About It. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.